0: Welcome to the study of God's Word with Pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through abounding Grace media, visit us online at CalvaryAurora.org, or download our free app on all platforms. And now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study.: Amen. Amen, take your Bibles, would you to Genesis chapter 3? Start a new chapter. In our study, verse by verse, through the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, we're going to tackle the first few verses And the Bible study I've entitled, The Devil is a Liar. Amen? Amen. The devil is a liar. If you didn't know that already, now you do. The devil is a liar. And let me just say, we're in one of the most important chapters in all the Bible. If you were to read chapters 1 and 2, and then skip chapter 3 and move into chapter 4, you wouldn't be able, you'd be filled with so many questions. What happened? What happened from God declaring everything good to the chaos that happens in chapter four? If you skipped three, it's so critical in and foundation and understanding why so many difficulties exist today. I mean, it's like if you don't know the beginning, like studying the book of Genesis here on our midweek and then studying the book of Acts on weekends, if we don't know the beginning of something, it's kind of like walking into a movie late. You know, you're 10, 15, 20 minutes late, you walk into the movie and you've missed all of the foundation that they were building for the rest of you. know, What is happening here? And who's this person here? And where are they? And what's the plot line? Well, we're studying the plot lines that God has given to us as we learn of his character and his nature. We we don't want to jump in midway. We want to understand what God is doing, especially in Genesis. As we come to chapter 4 and skip 3, we have to ask questions like, what happened to man's innocence? What happened to the perfect garden? Why isn't man in fellowship with God any longer? Why, beginning in chapter 4, is where did this jealousy come from? Where did the anger, the lying, the murder, the corruption, the rebellion, the judgment, where did all that come from? Well, in chapter three, in just 24 short verses, that explains all those questions and more. The chapter clarifies so much. We're gonna learn the devices of the enemy, how he functions, how sin enters into the world. We're gonna learn about prophecy, substitutionary atonement, Man's separation from God, God's love and pursuit of man. And and it's one of the reasons I was going and preparing this particular study, one of the reasons I just so appreciate Ken Ham. Because the ministry, the drum that he beats, if he had just one drum that he beats, is that you need to understand Genesis in order to understand life. It gives you the foundation of everything. And we don't want to neglect the foundation of how God laid before us The promise, not only the problem, but the promise of Messiah. And so we're going to go a little bit slower through chapter 3 in the coming weeks to learn a little bit. Notice with me in verse 1 of chapter 3 of Genesis. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, and mark these words, because they're familiar words. Has God indeed said... You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So let's just pause there for a moment to gain some introduction to this chapter. You know, back in California, Southern California, where I grew up, every July, all the fireworks stands would pop up. And the most popular fireworks stand when I grew up was Red Devil Fireworks. And there was a Red Devil Firework stand every corner. And the mascot was what you would think, a little comical character, a little cartoon character with a pitchfork and horns and a big tail. And there's the little red devil selling his fireworks. Makes sense. Selling things related to fire, of course. And many today believe that's a true picture of the devil, just a little character, kind of like in the cartoons, because I also grew up with cartoons that had a little angel on one shoulder and a little red devil on the other one, and they're trying, pulling you one direction or the other. And, And we learned today that the devil's real and he's not some comical character. He has one goal, and that's to utterly destroy your life. And you can't view him like a cartoon, or you can't deny him, It says that the serpent here, of course the serpent now being indwelt by the very person of the devil, was more cunning than any beast of the field. You can write next to cunning, you can say, you could write next to it, he was subtle and crafty. That's the idea behind this Hebrew word, cunning, subtle and crafty, the Serpent, the Hebrew word for serpent here, is shining one. So he comes with this attractiveness, but he is cunning. So let's learn a little bit about the devil from other passages. Would you hold your place in Genesis and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. We get a little insight to the devil here uh, from the word of God. In Isaiah 14, we're going to pick up when we get there in verse 12. It says, "'How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning! How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations! For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation.'" of the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness, who destroyed its cities and who did not open the house of his prisoners? From Isaiah, turn over to Ezekiel now. Turn over to Ezekiel, again to the right, Ezekiel chapter 28. We have these descriptions of the real essence of the devil, of Lucifer, of Satan. And again, pick up when you get to Ezekiel 38 in verse 14. Ezekiel 38 verse 14, he says, Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong. Did I say 38? Go to 28. 38's great, but that's uh, end times prophecy. 28, Ezekiel 28, 14. There we are. Much more comfortable verse. You are the anointed cherub, again an angel, who covers, I establish you, you are on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. And so we have this dual description both of a world leader and also the heart of the devil, the essence of the devil. And what was the great sin of Satan? It was the sin of pride. That was his problem. He was so beautiful, he believed he could be God. He wanted to be God. He wanted to place himself above God. And like it did with Satan bringing his enjoyment of the presence of God to an immediate end, immediate judgment, pride will also tear you down instantly. You see, sin didn't begin on earth It began in the heart of Lucifer, declaring war against God in his heart. But his war against God is also a war against you and against your life and your fruitfulness. The reason he's against you, and I'm not overstating this, the reason he's against you is that you are the apple of God's eye, his prized creation. The devil is consumed with envy and pride, and in his arrogance taking you down brings him great joy. Now, we aren't told how he exactly or when he exactly got into the garden coming back to Genesis 3. However, in Revelation 12 speaks of the casting down of the third of the angels with him. So he was expelled from heaven and now we find him in the garden talking to Eve. The first thing the devil does is he approaches the woman And the first mistake she made was having a dialogue with the serpent. In verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Her first mistake was having a dialogue with this serpent. And here we are in the moment of time that will mark all of human history. But can I say that just some of the things you hear today will be simple, they might even sound repetitive. However, knowing that the Bible study moves far beyond even our own fellowship, I don't think you would be surprised that some of what I'm sharing today will be new for people, partly because they haven't yet to read the Bible, but also partly because they've been taught wrong. And you're not to talk to the devil. You're to allow God to be your defender. You don't have a conversation with the devil, but even before the conversation, let me warn you. It's important that you not open your mind to entertain the suggestions of the devil. That that is the warfare, the warfare that you and I face is, and that's why I believe the helmet of salvation is so important, that protective helmet of God that he gives us in Ephesians 6 to protect our minds because the assault will come of your salvation. Your salvation. Because if the enemy can undermine and cause you to doubt your salvation, it really, you're, it's not a doubting of salvation. It's a doubting of the God who promised to keep you. Remember what we learned in Peter? Peter told us that God, we are kept by what? The power of God. And so the enemy is going to constantly assault your relationship with God. And the place of assault, what's not exclusive, but it is often, is your salvation in mind. Once you start doubting your salvation, you're going to doubt everything else. You're just going to doubt what people say. You're going to doubt the word of God. You're going to doubt the author of God. So we want to be careful not to open our minds to entertain the suggestions of Satan. Why? Because the warfare comes not by the devil possessing believers, but oppressing believers. Listen, as a believer, you cannot be be possessed by the devil. All right? Don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about demon possession. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible couldn't be clearer. Light and darkness don't go together. Devil doesn't, doesn't, can't, has no ability to dwell in you that you're filled with, and you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. However, it doesn't mean he's not formidable, and it doesn't mean that he can't mess with you, and it doesn't mean that he can't mess with your mind. You go, oh, no, no, you never mess with my mind. I'm a strong believer. I'm in the Word all the time. I can mess with your mind. And who am I? I mean, I can make you think all kinds of things. I can, I can make you think of a pink Cadillac and the person that gives them away. Who is the person that gives pink Cadillacs away? I just mess with your head, Mary Kay. Pink Cadillac. Right now you're going, no, I won't think of pink Cadillacs, but you're saying them. Yeah, I mean, we, we have this external ability to mess with people. Even in fun, you know, just fun. As I'm watching, you know, people that can do sleight of hand magic, you know, that messes with my head. I am so desperate to find out how did they do that because it's just sleight of hand and they mess with me and I willingly allow them to. But the devil, you don't want to be messing around because he does the sleight of hand in a much more dangerous way. And he will continue to assault you in your mind and in your thoughts and in your beliefs because he knows sometimes even more than we do that what you believe dictates how you behave. And if you believe and you live in doubting God, your lust of your life will be doubt. And if you doubt God's word, then you won't live with confidence. And so there's an onslaught. If you you think you're going to be bound by that sin the rest of your life, you have presented yourself to be bound to that sin. And as long as you present yourself to sin, you are a slave to sin. But if you believe your identity in Christ is that you have been delivered, you can walk free in the light, looking up, living out God's call in your life. You know what you're going to do? You're going to live your calling out in the presence of the Lord, whatever you believe. God if you understand like God does God God does everything possible in his word to reveal to you and me how important you are how loved you are how much he's changed you, how much he's gonna change you, how you're a son or daughter of the king, how a father takes care of his kids. And even if a kid wanders away, dad's gonna love him even more when he gets, like your identity in Christ, you have been set free. You are hidden in Christ. Your sins have been forgiven. You know, the devil does everything he can to keep you out of the word of God because he doesn't want you to live out your identity. He doesn't want you to live out the destiny that God has laid before you. He doesn't want you to live in obedience. He wants you to live with this confused mind, always wondering, always regretting, always upset, always in the flesh. And before you know it, man, life passed you by and it's just been one long flesh fest of your life. And it's just a miserable way to live. It's a miserable way to live. So what does he do? He places him, listen, he places himself in between you and God. He he says, I'm going to come between Eve and God. And what does he do? Not only does he approach her, but secondly, he questions the word of God. He questions. It's one of the reasons on our live show that we don't give time to weird stuff. If you're gonna call the show with weird stuff, there's a button right there that says hang up. It doesn't say hang up, but that's what it is right there, hang up. We don't want you stumbling people with your weird questions. I don't mean real questions. I mean people that call that just want to stumble the listeners. I don't mean genuine questions. I don't mean those that you want to grow and understand, and although it might be an interesting question, I'm talking about the people that purposely want to use what's been dedicated to God to stumble believers. That God doesn't like his children being stumbled, just like you don't want your children being stumbled. You don't want your children being told lies. You don't want your children, you, you want, if anyone has influence on in your children, you want them to influence them the same way you do. You want, to point, you want others to point your kids to the Lord. You want them to give them the truth. You want, you, want those, you want those that are surrounding your kids' lives to love them and point them to the Lord. Well, God loves us even more than we love our own kids. And so what does he do? He He says, He says, has God indeed said? Now, of course, things could have been different if he just said, you know what, I don't want to talk to you and walk away. Or don't even say anything and walk away. Or say, why don't you ask God? He's the one you're questioning, why don't you ask him directly? But I want you to see that before any law was given, before anything was revealed on Mount Sinai, any covenants were made, Apart, you know, in writing from God, there's a direct challenge to God's word. And a choice between right and wrong was given to Eve here, even before the fall. And I believe how each person answers the question of good and evil. How you ask, when you're faced with a situation, you're faced with the decision and you have to make a discerning choice between right and wrong, good and evil. How you make that determination will decide your eternal destination as well as your daily life. Like it will determine the direction and the trajectory of your life and the fate of future generations. How you discern good and evil will affect your kids and your grandkids. How you decide what's good and evil will affect your boss and your coworkers. How you, dis- dis- how you decide what's good and evil, what's right and wrong, will affect people that you drive on Hampton, down Hampton, or I-25. I-, I-, I want you to think of the significance of this just in light of a culture and society. As you're driving today, and you're heading home, just a few moments, you have to make a decision. Is it the right thing or the wrong thing to drive on the right side of the road? I know you don't make that decision. You just It's just kind of normal. But actually, you do make that decision every time you get in the car. Is it right or wrong to stop at the red light? Is it right or wrong to stop at the stop sign? Is it right or wrong to go 15 miles an hour in a community that you know nothing about, but whoever put the sign there knows that there is a deaf child that lives around the corner, do you know? How you decide if that's right or wrong to follow that 15 mile an hour speed limit. Like how you decide, just in everyday life, the decisions you make, the power of decision that God has given you, how you decide can actually affect generations. So wouldn't you agree it would be important to choose wisely and rightly that this question that's presented to Eve is a question of right or wrong? It's a question of good or bad. And the desire of the enemy here is to cast doubt on the word of God, which dictates to us ultimately right and wrong, because then as the doubt would come, then Eve would then be suspicious of the truthfulness of God. And after all, if God's word can't be trusted, then everything on which they base their lives in the garden would be false. They have enjoyed for as long as we know, like we don't know how long it was, but Adam and Eve has enjoyed sweet fellowship with one another and with God on a level we've never experienced before, without sin. They've just had a sweetness about them and a beauty about them. And it's just been glorious and wonderful that something we can look forward to when paradise is restored. And then we've got this this questioning. I mean, can you really trust God? After all that you experience, after all that you have enjoyed, can you really trust God? And I don't want you to miss here, not only was the mistake of dialoguing with Satan with the serpent wrong, but I don't want you to miss in verse three I don't want to spend a long time on it, but notice Eve added to the word of God in her answer. When she said, but of the tree, the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it lest you die. Well, she added, nor shall you touch it. So there she is adding to the word of God, which is forbidden many times in scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 4, Revelation 22, Proverbs chapter 30, adding to the word of God is Unwise and disobedient, and going to lead you down a wrong path. Eve had the truth, but she's way out of bounds with her addition, which, by the way, corrupted the true message because she applied something to God that he never said. It reminded me of the parable of the talents. Remember, the biggest issue with the parable of the talent with the guy that hid his talent is he misunderstood his master. And when he misunderstood his master, he went and buried the talent and started blaming his master for his unfaithfulness. And that's what happens when you don't know your Savior. You don't understand his love and his mercy. That on one side of the coin is holiness, on the other side is love. On the one side of the coin is obedience, on the other side is grace. And you understand the fullness of God's character. Well, notice verse 4 now, serpent responds and the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And this, my friend, you can write in your Bibles is, this is the lie. This is a lie. And the lie, you shall not surely die, is really an undermining, undermining of what God said and the character of God. Not, you will not, God's, God's not telling you the truth. You're not going to die. Can I just show you something? Turn over to John chapter 8. And all these cross-references will be very helpful to you for those that doubt the significance of the devil or the Bible teaches a real devil, all of these throughout. You know, Jesus believed in the devil. You know that? Jesus believed in the devil. He knew it, and he described him to a T. And let me just give you one of the descriptions of the devil. This is not a study entirely on the devil today, but I do want to give you insight from the lips of Jesus. Notice in verse 44 of John's Gospel, chapter 8. John 8, 44, this is what Jesus believed about the devil. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for, what does your Bible say? He Say it with me, he is a liar and the father of it. And this is what he's doing with Eve here. He moves from questioning, casting suspicion, to flat out contradicting what God said. And that's often what's often added is truth mixed with error. Truth mixed with error. You will not surely die because God is not telling you the truth, that's what his lie was. So not only does he contradict God's word, but he also misrepresents the goodness and love of God. It's almost like he's telling Eve here, God is holding out on you. It's almost like he's saying, if God really loved you, then he wouldn't have put this prohibition. Remember earlier, in an earlier study in Genesis, we learned about the limitations of God. It is God's prerogative for us. It's God's prerogative for him to limit us. And he does place limitations upon us in a variety of ways, giving us the free will choice to obey or not. And here he says in verse 4, you will not surely die. And now, listen, verse 5, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now that's not what the intent of God was at all. God placed a prohibition upon them to protect them. To protect them. And we can think of a lot of examples that we would give to protect others that may not be so comfortable for others. I think of using the app Waze. And when you're using Waze and you know the way home, but Waze takes you 10 minutes out of the way, you're like, no, 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 I know how to go home. No, no, no. But, you know, with the crowdsourcing and crowd, Waze is a GPS program on your phone by the way it's a little app you can get and what it is is it brings all this crowd crowdsourcing information of people going oh there's an accident here this there here and it will real-time reroute you to get you where you're going fast around the information that's shared with them real time but if you think already you know where you're going and what you're doing you may not even want to use Waze But if you are using Waze, just think about it. Waze is saying no, I want you to take this route. And you go, no, no, I already know this area. I don't want to take that route. I want to take this route. And Waze is like, you know, you're not arguing with your GPS, I hope. Um, But if you did, they're just like saying no. It's almost if the voice going, no, you're going this way. No, you're no, I'm going this way. No, you're going this way. Like, no, why? And then you say, forget it, I'm not going to do it. You turn it off. You know where you're going. You go the way you're going. And what happens? There's a multi-car accident there. And it was just trying to help you. It's not even a real person either, but it was just trying to help you. Just saying, I can, I can save you. And so where you are, you're stuck on there for two hours. Can't back up because the guy behind you did the same thing. And so did the 300 cars behind you. So now you're stuck. If you were just taking the 10-minute detour, you would have been home by now. And of course, in matters of life and death, we don't, we don't want to go our own way. The Bible says a man plans, a, a plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. The Bible says that there is a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. One of the purposes of being in the word, one of the purposes of systematic Bible study, reading our Bibles every day, is that we're learning the directions of God, even for the day, even for what God has for us. Open to the Holy Spirit, he might give us a detour He might send us in a new direction. He might impress upon us a name or a person or a place so that we might be more usable to him and protect us. Like today, some of you are experiencing a real difficult, hard situation because you want to go one way, but God has you going another way. I don't know exactly what God's doing, whether he's protecting. I I I can't speak to that, but I do know this. Whatever God is doing, you can trust him. You don't need to go your own way. You don't need to plow through a closed door. You don't need to make anything happen. You don't need to take things into your own hand. You don't just need to end it now. What we need to do is trust God. Surrender our life afresh and anew. We trust him with the situation. We trust him with the outcome. We trust him with the future. Because this is, this doubting of God, not trusting God is the fertile ground of temptation. Because when you don't trust God, there's always a convenient option available to you. That's one way you can remember temptation. You could remember temptation as a convenient, sinful option. It's not just a sinful option, it's a convenient one. And it's not just convenient, many times the temptations, well, I would say most times, I would say almost every time, a real temptation also is attractive. After all, why would we ever fall for such a dumb thing if we didn't want to do it? That's the problem with sin and temptation. It's like, oh man, I can't believe it, Ed. Why am I sinning? Well, part of the answer is you like it. If you didn't like it, you wouldn't do it. However, there is that once you choose the route of sin, then immediately start the realm of condemnation, which makes you feel like I don't want to do it. And there's the battle of the flesh and the spirit. But I mean, in the flesh, of course you want to do it. And of course you will do it. And of course you will suffer the consequences. This all happens with Eve. We're reading it and we've spent some time talking about it and learning from it. But this all happens milliseconds. This is quick. I mean, if you read verses 1 through 5, you're done in 30 seconds. And it's all happening real time for her. It's just quick. And it's all jumbled up in her mind. Because the devil's always gonna challenge the fairness of God. And the devil's always gonna challenge the justice of God. And the devil's always gonna challenge the love of God. He's always gonna challenge his love for you, not just the abstract, but your love. There's always gonna be a temptation, someone in your life, well, if God is such a God of love, then, because that's a challenge from the devil. Now, of course, it can be a reasonable question. It can be someone that's truly searching for answers. But it also is often a direct challenge that's inspired by the devil himself. The devil has been tampering with the word of God from the beginning. Now, just a brief question before we move on to the final verses today. But, you know, there is the question that many ask is, why would Eve talk to a serpent? I mean, because if, you, if you're going to the Denver Zoo to the reptile area and somebody's having a conversation with the devil, it's just not, no, I mean, with the, with the snake, it's not normal. And you may go up to him, hey, don't talk to snakes, the devil might be there. You know, it's just not normal. People aren't talking to, to animals. But I want you to remember prior to the fall, man's relationships with animals was very different than what we experience today. So it's just different. So it's not unusual that there would be this comfortableness with animals. It's, it's not. This is all prior to the fall. It, it's very different than what we currently experience. However, there's a spiritual significance behind this too because you know we, we think of the devil, he's just going to show up in a pitchfork and he's going to look like the little cartoon character and we're just going to know when the devil shows up. But that's not the truth. He's cunning and subtle and clever and deceitful. That's what Paul, would you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11? This is what Paul said about him. Notice with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. You know, they, you think when the devil's gonna call your house, you know, your phone's gonna turn red hot and it's gonna, the caller ID is 666. That, that's not gonna happen. He's not gonna reveal his cards like that. Now He's subtle. And listen to what Paul says. This is pretty powerful. Look at verse 13 with me. He talks about the false teachers, false apostles, deceitful workers. Notice what they do. These false teachers, false apostles, they transform themselves into apostles of Christ. Now, that's not a literal transformation. They don't, they're not becoming bad to good. They're presenting themselves that way. They're, they're transforming their appearance, the way they come off, how they how they provide, you know, how they were messing with the Corinthians and undermining their faith. They came with genuineness or a veiled genuineness and sincerity. And he says, this is no wonder, verse 14, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. So it's no great thing if ministers transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works, just like Jesus said. They're savage wolves, Paul said in Acts chapter twenty. And Jesus said, You'll know a tree by its fruit. You'll know. You know, it's all a disguise. He's deceptive, not obvious. He comes with subtlety and craftiness. And what does he do? He comes in the form of a serpent here and dwelling this, this snake, this shining one. And it's enough to say, but I'll repeat it. When it comes to temptation, just don't start talking to the devil. Just. Let the Lord deal with the demonic. Let the Lord deal with the temptations. Just find yourself. I think the safest place for a believer is to be hidden in Christ. to stay, stay in the Lord. Let him deal with the issues. He's the father of lies. Well, verse 6, back in Genesis, it says, When the woman saw, mark that, the tree was good, mark that, for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desirable, mark that, to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord of God walking in the garden of the cool of the day, And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among all the trees of the garden. So you see the progression? Eve saw, Eve took, Eve ate, and she gave. When she saw, it gives us insight to the strategies of the devil. When she saw, this is Satan's desire to turn your look into lust. When she took, it's Satan's desire to turn your desire into a decision. When she ate, it's Satan's desire to turn your choice into slavery. And finally, when she gave, it's Satan's desire to turn the sinner into a seducer. You see, he didn't go after Adam. Because once Eve was involved, she could go after Adam. He could wipe his hands of it all turning look into lust, desire into decision, uh, choices into slavery, and turning the sinner into a seducer. You don't need to turn there, but let me read to you what John writes in his epistle in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. He says, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And Adam 8, But I want you to understand, Adam was not deceived. He sinned willfully. He had no interaction with the serpent, which could be a whole other Bible study um, that as Eve's husband, he left her vulnerable because there's no mention of her in this conversation. He's the covering of Eve. But he's also the federal head of humanity. The responsibility of sin being passed down to you and me is this guy, Adam. Because he wasn't deceived, he sinned willfully. In First Timothy 2.14 it says, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. No, Adam sinned willfully. And the evil here wasn't in the beautiful tree or its, in, in his, its ability to impart knowledge and wisdom, but in the fact that man tried to fulfill in disobedience his own desires according against the will of God. And the pathway of temptation is no different today. You see, you take, you eat, and then you pass it on. Because no one ever sins alone. And the consequences of sin are never shared alone. There are people that love you and care for you. There are people that look up to you and follow you. There are people that depend upon you. You know, we often kind of look at it sometimes in a negative way. I don't think we ever should, but there are people watching you that you don't even know. But you don't have to be freaked out about that. They're watching you because they know you have a relationship with Jesus. You said so, and they're just watching you because they're on the fence. Oh, yeah, maybe some are watching you, waiting for you to fall. But look how long you've been living with the Lord, walking with the Lord, that they just keep watching, and they can't see you fall, but they see you faithful. (laughs) Isn't that great? They want to see something bad, but you've offered them something totally different. So this is what a faithful, you know, made a mistake here and there. He stumbled here and there for sure. But man, this is what faithfulness looks like in the life of the believer. And their eyes were opened. And the very first thing they do is they hear God. You see that? Their eyes were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. Again, this is all happening together as they find themselves with a consciousness of sin that they've never had before. And the first conscious, the first consciousness of sin was one of shame, and they tried to cover themselves, and it was foolish. You know, putting fig leaves in your private areas is not a wise decision. So it's just sin upon, you know, mistake upon mistake, and they run away, try to hide. They hear the Lord, and now they don't want the Lord. Haven't you found that to be true? It's like you've committed sin, it's not confessed or whatever, and you don't want the Lord anymore. That's why people become very antagonistic toward church, very antagonistic toward ministry, very antagonistic maybe toward you, because they're filled with guilt and shame, and it's got to come out somewhere. They could come clean right now. They could come clean before the Lord. They know how to do it because now they know sin. But they don't. They run away. They try to conceal. Verse 8, it says, the first time as they hear the sound of the Lord walking in the cool of the garden, they hid themselves uh, um, from the presence of the Lord. They, it says in verse 10, they were afraid. And now they don't have that oh, holy, awesome reverence of relationship. Now, because of sin, they're afraid of God and the consequences that come from their behavior. And it seems as if this is a similar choice that we see so often. Those that, that sin, they run away from God instead of coming to Him. Running away instead of just doing exactly what the Bible says. If Just confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And even today, men and women are on a quest to conceal their own sin. And they're, they're doing all kinds of things that make no sense, just like fig leaves. It's like, do you know what you're doing? Yeah, it's very uncomfortable. We were uncomfortable before, but now it's more uncomfortable. I know. It's gonna continue until you come clean with God. You gotta come clean with God. You wanna keep going back to sin? Then keep paying the price for it. Keep fearing God. Not in the holy sense, but like running away from him like he's going to hurt you or harm you. It's not God that's going to find you out. He already knows. We've already learned it's sin that will find you out. It'll be revealed. Sin has taken Adam and Eve from full fellowship to fear and isolation. That's what it does all the time. Those of you that live in pride and arrogance, knowledge puffing up, you are living in a fear and isolation. You don't know the love of God. You don't know the father love of God. And if you do, you're not experiencing it. You're misunderstanding it. You're running away, hiding. You hear God, but you don't want God. Imagine that. You hear God, believer, but you don't want God. That's a miserable place to be. The the hearing of God goes hand in hand with wanting him and enjoying him, even as you are. Listen, the devil is a liar and a deceiver and a fraudster, and he uses the same weapons and tactics over and over again. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. This is exactly what Eve dealt with, and it's still the same today. Sin is attractive. The Bible says it's pleasurable for a season, but you have to make up your mind to follow God. You know, it took 40 years to make up his mind to follow God, but he did, and I just know that God is among us right now, he knows every one of us, both near and far. He knows our stories. He knows those in compromise. He knows the hurting. He knows those with doubts. He knows those with rejoicing. He knows that are those that have returned. He knows those that are fighting sin. Because it's one thing to present yourself to sin, but it's another thing to fight it. To fight it in the strength of the Lord. To present yourself to God, a sin of righteousness. And then you're in the fight. Oh, it's a fight. For some, it's not going to go away right away. It's going to constantly be a temptation. It's part of the, the consequence. But man, the Lord is with you. Don't love the world, the Bible says, or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's something we all deal with. And we're reminded today, if you love the world, there's no room for the love of the Father in you. So stay focused. Forsake the world. Decry the lust. Come clean. Be honest. Let the Lord do a work cleansing in your life so you can go back to a place of rejoicing. So why? You can hear the Lord and enjoy the Lord. You can hear the Lord and serve the Lord. You can hear the Lord and long to be with others that are hearing the Lord. You can hear the Lord and have his heart for the lost. You can hear the Lord and pray for the product. You can hear the Lord and enjoy that waiting life for his soon return. Why? Because the blessed hope brings about purity and strength in your life and mine. So Father, thank you for the privilege of your word tonight that truly, we, we look at Adam and Eve at times, I, I mean, forgive us if, if there are those among us who go, oh man, if I was in the garden, I wouldn't have done that. And here we are, just notching ourselves a little bit better than the next guy and a little bit better. But truth be told, Lord, we're all in desperate need of your sustaining power in our lives, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the the sealing of the Holy Spirit. We need your person and presence to consume us. And so, Lord, I just pray for your spirit to move among us, that we might walk in the truth, not trying to cover up, sow some fig leaves, but to come clean before you, Lord, that even in the consciousness of our own sin, that we might walk in the freedom that's available to us so we might enjoy you and enjoy each other and enjoy life to the fullest. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora